1: Welcome
2: everyone to another episode of Leverage Masters. I am your co-host Gina Gaudio Grace, and along with my co-host and all-around partner Jack Humphrey, we are the co-founders of theLeverages.com and Divizio.com, and we have got a fantastic show lined up for you guys today. How are you today, Jack?
0: I am good, getting ready to fly to Taos, New Mexico tomorrow for a board meeting, so it's a busy day. Oh,
2: that's going to be so great.
0: Yeah, it's going to be good to get back to New Mexico. I lived there for quite a while, and I always miss the place, and I haven't been to Taos in a long time, so that'll be fun.
2: Nice. Well, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about our guest today?
0: Um, (laughs) well, we don't uh, have any guest information. Yes, we do. Um, we do.
2: Oh, yeah, go refresh. Mark Gober. I'm sorry. I think I pronounced that (laughs) right. Mark is a businessman. He began his career in 2008 in New York as an investment banking analyst with a large global firm. During the Heart of the Financial Crisis, in 2010, he chose to leave Wall Street to join a technology-focused investment banking and strategy firm, and is now a partner in Silicon Valley there. Um, he's been quoted for his opinions on business and technology matters in Bloomberg, Business Week, and elsewhere, and he's authored internationally published best uh,
0: business articles. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for having me. Hi, Mark. Sorry about that. Technical glitch. We didn't see your show info. (laughs) So we'll start off like we do everybody every week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And ask you, that was a little bit of a bio. We'll get much, much more into what you're up to, what you've been up to. But what's really exciting for you right now? What's got you super fired up that you're working on now?
1: Well, as you mentioned, I, I, I work in the business world, uh, but what I've been really fired up about recently is is a, a, it culminated in a book that came out a few weeks ago called An End to Upside-Down Thinking, uh, which summarizes the research that I've done over the last two years on the topic of consciousness and our own mind and identity. So I'm always thinking about those things and love talking about it.
0: Oh, good Lord. Wow, we're going to have some fun today. Love
1: the topic. That we are. <laughs>
0: Cool. Well, let's get into that. What is that all about? I mean, uh, start where you would like, but uh, upside down thinking. Tell
1: us,
0: tell us what it's about.
1: Sure. Well, I I should preface it by saying that this is still somewhat new for me. Prior to two years ago, I didn't really know about these topics at all, nor was I looking at them. But through listening to podcasts initially, I, I became exposed to these topics and then really got hooked, and then researched extensively to to where we now are with the book and into upside-down thinking. So what do I mean by upside-down thinking? I think that's a good place to start. What I'm referring to, and now we're going deep early here, is the the conventional perspective in society and really most of science, which says the following. The universe started 13.8 billion years ago through some event that we typically call the Big Bang, and it filled the universe with physical material that we call matter. In this big universe, you have matter everywhere, and the matter starts interacting because it's such a big universe, it's bound to happen. We call those interactions between pieces of matter chemistry. When you have enough chemical reactions in this big universe, you're bound through chance to end up with a molecule that can replicate itself, and we call that DNA. So DNA leads to the evolution of a human being, for example, in addition to other species, And the human being develops a brain and from the brain comes out our consciousness, our awareness. Like when I say that I'm speaking right now, that subjective inner experience is what I mean by consciousness. So the the picture that I just drew is that matter comes from matter through a brain. That is precisely the idea that I challenge in my book and end to upside down thinking by putting Consciousness not at the very end of the picture, but actually at the beginning of the picture. So what I argue is that the brain does not produce consciousness, but rather consciousness is the basis of this physical world, and the brain acts like an antenna receiver or like a filter or a processor of a consciousness that is really transcending everything physical. So I'll pause there.
0: Okay. Uh, Does that have how how much does that relate to Lanza's biocentrism type thing? Because it sounds sounds like you guys have some things in common. If if I if I heard you
1: right, Uh, absolutely we do. Consciousness
0: leading the way.
1: Yeah, yeah. And as I quote that book and and also beyond biocentrism in my book. And actually, Bob Berman, who was one of the co-authors, wrote an article recently and, and mentioned my book because I think we're supporting each other's ideas. All right. I was endlessly
0: fascinated by both of his books. Uh, but I don't feel like the rest of the world shared my enthusiasm for it. It really they really got sort of I don't know lost. I thought, okay, this guy's been on the front of Time magazine and done all these great things. He's one of the, you know, smartest people on the planet, objectively. All of this stuff. I thought that would just be what everybody was talking about. I thought, finally, People were going to have a a conversation in the culture, in the populace about something people don't typically do, and it's going to be because of that book. But it really didn't take off as much as I – it didn't seem like he promoted it an awful lot Um, It with New York Times bestseller and everything, but I thought that was going to start a much bigger conversation than it did. Were you surprised by that as well?
1: I'm surprised and also not surprised. This is one of the things I found in my research is that these topics tend to get brushed aside by the mainstream, no matter how strong the evidence seems to be or no matter how credible the the person is who's speaking about it. So what I really tried to do in an end to upside-down thinking is to double down on finding the most credible research in diverse areas, bringing it into one place, and really try to talk about it as much as possible in mainstream circles. Because I think that we're getting to a tipping point now where there's enough really strong science from the U.S. government, from Princeton University, from the University of Virginia, and beyond, coupled with the the lingering question in society, which is called the hard problem of consciousness. How does our body make our mind? We don't know the answer, and very credible places like Science Magazine have called this the number two question that remains in all of science. So when you couple the fact that we have a big question about something so basic with the fact that there is emerging evidence from all different areas, like psychic phenomena, like surviving bodily death, like quantum physics. You put it all together, to me, it points in this alternative direction. So hopefully things will start to shift.
0: Yeah. Maybe it's just, uh, it's not just the hard question, but it's a scary question. There's something maybe subconsciously people do in a reaction to. I don't want to talk about this. I want to play with technology. I want to talk about AI. I want to talk about business. I want to talk about religion and all this other stuff that do practically anything, it seems, to avoid talking about this stuff. So it's brave of you to have, as you know, to wade wade into these waters. (laughs) Uh, You had plenty of evidence that it wasn't going to be an easy um, task for those who just came before you and and even centuries before you, uh, where a lot of this stuff gets lost. So, what? How do you how do you break this down uh, for people who are sort of lay people like you? T- before two years ago, how are you sending this message out so that it, it
1: it has a chance
0: to reach a more mainstream eardrum? This is
1: precisely the issue that I've spent a lot of time thinking about, and the way I structured the book was specifically for a general audience. So I'm hoping that my background, just as someone who works in business, and I, I was captain of the tennis team at Princeton, so my, my background is kind of business athletics. I'm hoping for certain people who might never even think about these topics, maybe they'll look at the first page because we share a similar background. Uh, but also, I, I, as a non-scientist, I think maybe I have a bit more liberty in simplifying things And I really tried to do that with this book to make it accessible to people. And I think part of the problem has been that the concepts are so abstract. They're things that we're not seeing with our own eyes. And we tend to be biased by what our body is pushing us towards and what our eyes show us. And here we are talking about the mind and consciousness, and it's just an abstract thing. So I think the more it can be made concrete, the more credible pieces of evidence that can be put together in a simplified way, Like that's just – that's. Is my attempt, and we'll see how it goes because the book just came out. Yeah, yep, I'm seeing
0: it here on Amazon. Great reviews so far. Congratulations! Uh, Thank you. So it's it's kind of ironic, isn't it, that we have been thrust into this physical existence, and I feel like there's a laboratory, maybe somewhere that, <laughs> so to speak, that needed us to be so convinced that we are these physical bodies that. it it made it almost impossible for us to think about the topics in your book, thinking with a physical mind and in a physical body about things that are just totally against all of our physics, all of our everything that we were put here. It's almost as if it was done on purpose so we would just give up and just live and just be alive and just enjoy the life that we have, Uh, being a physical body and having all these senses and and things like that, which also comes with the pain and the suffering and everything else. But it almost seems like it's almost an airtight thing that consciousness or whoever's behind this or whatever's behind this has made it so almost impossible for us to touch some of the harder ideas that I'm sure are in your book.
1: Mm-hmm. What you're describing is something I, I ponder every day of how, how could it be this way? How, how has this, If this is real, how is it that society for so many years has not appreciated the reality that we're in, that everyone's kind of looking the other way? And why is it so difficult to conceptualize these things in a biological body where we're just thrust in these other directions? And I'd say the short answer is I don't know, and, I, and I'm not sure if it's something that the human mind will ever be capable of fully grasping, because our mind looks at things in a really linear way, based on our senses and the things that we're talking about are so transcendent. They're not things that our mind can, like, can fully grasp potentially, sort of like infinity. We talk about infinity in math. Yeah. It's a generally accepted principle. But if I ask someone to really explain to me infinity, our mind can't go there.
0: And it's so perfect because there's not a person on this planet who's figured it out. We would know about them. I mean, like they would be the star of humanity. If if that person had both figured it out and convinced us that they had figured it out. And we're all just completely lost on this point, on these types of points. And we all seem so very okay with that. And in general, everyday life, we don't go around wringing our hands. Well, except for you and me. And, you know, weirdos like us. We do that a (laughs) lot, but most people don't. And I think it's just a comfort issue. And it also lends to, like, there's so many theories, and I know you've, you've explored all of them. Um, I've tried to explore every one that I come across. One is that every, the multiverse theory and that you, for me, are an actor on my stage, as is the 7.2 billion other people on this planet, are all here for me. And it would make total sense that since I haven't figured out all of this, all of this stuff... Of course, the world that's only here and was created for me, nobody else knows either because it's incumbent upon me. This is my version of my universe, and you have your version of your universe where maybe I'm an actor on your stage along with 7.2 billion other people uh, doing their things. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's really fun to kick all of these ideas around. At the end of the day, you stop and you're like, I still don't know anything. What comforts (laughs) you
1: about all of this? Conventional perspective, which I used to subscribe to, this idea that consciousness comes from the brain, that consciousness comes from something material, that lends itself, I think, to a nihilistic and very bleak outlook on life. Because if you assume that you're conscious because of your brain, exclusively because of your brain, no brain, no body, no consciousness, then that means when the body dies, it's over. There's no consciousness, your feelings, your memories, your thoughts, they're all gone. And I understood that implication before I got into this new work, which is that there cannot be any real meaning in that framework. You can come up with meaning during your life, but it's really a rationalization because eventually one will be dead and the memories and consciousness will be gone. So it's very difficult. It's not impossible to come up with any real meaning in life. So I think that, that kind of like nihilism and bleak outlook that is, the underpinning of much of our science today whether people talk about it like that or not i think it's the inescapable conclusion that that's really what is implied that's not the most pleasant outlook whether one likes it or not mm. what i'm what we're describing is something that is transcending the body so at the very least there is seemingly more meaning to life beyond just the physical so that to me you know then we start getting into things like near death experiences that talk about other stuff but to me, it's brought a lot more meaning to life, which whereas before I thought there was no meaning at all. Yeah. Well, you said it, so I guess we
0: better go down that road a little bit. There are an awful lot of people who have died and come back and they're telling the same stories, and I don't think there's anybody on the planet that's unaware of of that phenomenon. Um, it is, it is weird that people you know who didn't know each other, people all the way across the planet, people who' never heard this story before, are coming back with similar stories. they can't have painted each other or had that idea implanted i don't think i don't know you probably have gone much, much deeper into that and can tell us um, what are people doing in that moment uh, when they're dead on the table and it's a flat line and they're reporting back all of these things. Is that just the last gasp of the energy that's left in the brain to come up with images and sort of hallucinate things, or is it something else?
1: This is a really critical topic, and I devote a whole chapter to the near-death experience. If you had asked me what near-death experience is two years ago, I would have said something similar to what you just described isn't that just a hallucination that we are evolutionarily programmed to have right before we die? So the brain spits out chemicals or something happens that makes you have this feeling of unconditional love or seeing the light or whatever it is, but it's just from your brain and then you die and it's over. I would argue that that, that I I don't think that what is happening is a hallucination based on the research that I've looked at. So you mentioned that this has been reported for a long time. It goes back to Plato to the Egyptian Book of the Dead, to the Tibetan Book of the Dead. People have reported these very mystical experiences around the time of death or, or nearing death. But it wasn't until around 1975 when Raymond Moody put out his book on the near-death experience, and he actually coined the term, because our resuscitation technology has gotten much better in the last few decades. So now the number of people reporting these things, they're in cardiac arrest, for example, where there's a, their heart is, has stopped and their brain functioning has ceased because their heart stopped and blood flow stops. And yet people are reporting this experience, feeling unconditional love hovering over their bodies and seeing things in the room that are sometimes reported as being accurate afterwards, which by definition, that's not a hallucination if they're seeing something accurately. And sometimes they talk about seeing a mystical being, like they'll call it a being of light, or sometimes it's a deceased relative And then they talk about something that that I think about all the time, which is a life review, where they experience their whole life kind of in a flash. And they're judging themselves for how they acted towards other people. And in some cases, they're experiencing the event through the eyes of the people that they affected during that event, So it's sort of like consciousness is switching lenses in this, I don't know, alternative dimension, and people are judging themselves and feeling the feelings that they inflicted upon other people. And then typically they are told they have to come back in their body, and they come back, and the people that have this experience and remember it are reporting it. So this is a a really important thing if what people are reporting is actually a real thing and not just a hallucination.
0: Very Very important.
1: And then you throw in, you know, there
0: are some people who believe that you don't have to have a near-death experience to experience an otherworldliness, something outside of our physical area. If you talk about Terrence McKenna and people who uh, describe the places they go when they're on uh, mushrooms and LSD and things like that as a place. And you would hear McKenna saying all the time, when you get there, you're going to see this, this and this. And then people would go, I did. It was different. It was you know and he said, Well that's with your own filter and everything, but you but it's a place. He described these other worlds that they would explore with uh with drugs, uh as real places. And that also I wonder sometimes if that has something to come into play with all of this. Just because of what I said earlier in that we are so convincingly shoved into these physical bodies in every way that you watch people go from cradle to grave, totally believing they are that person. They are this persona. They are this, you know, thing. They're Protestant. They're, they're white. They're black. They think that they are those bodies. And it's because it's so convincing. And then people either with near death experiences or with, psychedelics or you I mean the ayahuasca craze has gone absolutely bonkers in the last 10 years and people are searching those people who choose to search are searching and they're convinced that they're seeing things that are real in a whatever otherworldly sense you can define reality right
1: mm-hmm. yeah well I, I, these are these are important points. I I view the brain as being like a filtering mechanism for consciousness and things like psychedelics or near death experiences that seem to reduce brain functioning in a certain way, unlock this broader reality that we typically don't see. It's like unlocking the filter psychedelics studies have, have kind of resumed in the last few years after a hiatus. uh, But there was a study in 2012 on psilocybin, which is the active compound in magic mushrooms and people When they have their psychedelic trips, the researchers find a reduction in certain parts of the brain, a reduction in brain activity in certain parts of the brain, which, again, aligns with this idea that if we reduce what the brain is doing, somehow that unlocks something broader that is just typically filtered out. And similarly with the near-death experience. People have no brain mm-hmm. functioning, or they have just an extremely impaired brain, and yet they have an enriched consciousness. This pattern of reduce, reducing the brain and enriched consciousness, we see it in a few other areas, too, supports the notion that consciousness is transcending the body, I would say. Hmm. That's really wild. That's actually the first conversation I've ever had about
0: both of those together, near-death NDEs and uh psychedelics and you came prepared. And I just want to remind everybody, we really did. I didn't have any notes on you before we started this. And while that is a big faux pas from a producer's perspective, like we shouldn't do that, but it's also really quite interesting that we are both talking today about things that we are both extremely interested in and pretty well read on.
1: (laughs) I think that's pretty awesome. I don't,
0: I don't even understand how this is happening
1: really. (laughs) Yep. Well, cool, but i, I, so I where really, do we go? I'm from? glad that you brought up no, I'm glad you brought up psychedelics and, and near-death experiences. I, actually, in chapter two, I, I, I show multiple examples of this phenomenon, and I want to mention a few more, because it's, it's super, super important.: sure, point, Yes, absolutely. Where We see re- reductions in brain activity associated with heightened and enriched consciousness. This is the inverse of what we would typically expect if the brain produced consciousness. Right? We would expect you need to have more brain functioning to experience more consciousness. And yet people in a psychedelic trip or a near-death experience, they're talking about things being realer than real, and yet they've got a, a less functional brain. Now, where else is this occurring? I talk in, in the book, again, this is all in Chapter 2 of An End to Upside-Down Thinking. Another example is uh, savant syndrome. So these are individuals who have incredible memories or they, can, they just know tons of things, but yet they have severe impairments in certain ways. And the movie Rain Man is a good example that many people know of where the, it's based off of a real person named Kim Peek who had incredible mental abilities, but yet was very impaired socially and in other ways. And it was due to a, a, different, a different brain structure where his brain was simply structured in a different way that caused impairments in certain ways, but heightened abilities in other ways. So it matches the same pattern where we see uh, damage to the brain in certain ways and reductions in activity, and yet there is a heightened consciousness in other ways with an incredible memory or or other abilities. And we see this sometimes with musical abilities or math, where the savant has an impaired brain in some ways, and yet a a heightened consciousness. Another example that's really important is one that I don't think is, is talked about enough in medical circles. It's called terminal lucidity. And these are instances where a person who has had a cognitive impairment for a really long time, like Alzheimer's disease. The person has been out of it for a long time, usually around the time that they are about to die, maybe hours or days before, they suddenly come back and they're totally lucid. And then they go back to their prior state and they they typically die soon after that. So again, we've got a damaged brain in some way or an impaired brain and yet a form of lucid, lucid consciousness that would not be predicted. All of these examples are pointing in this direction that our brain is, is related to consciousness, but not in the way that we conventionally think. So it's not the producer, but it's a filter of consciousness.
0: Yeah, it's it's making me think of things like modems. Um, <laughs> some kind of a, a, a analogous to some sort of technology where it's a receiver, a filter. Uh, and, and when it's messed up, like it was designed to... You know, make us accept that we're in a physical reality, all those kinds of things, perhaps, uh, very, very well, but when it becomes damaged in some way or limited in some way, that's kind of screwing up the programming in the system. And it opens windows and doors and things that maybe we weren't intended to see, was intended to at least be that difficult for us to discover and see.
1: Totally, totally. But it, again, this is a recontextualization of, of this physical biology that we all have and know so well, which is that it is a limiter of a broader reality rather than the producer of the reality we experience. So this is part of the upside down thinking that I think much of society is operating under.
0: I love that. The limiter of a much broader, that makes a lot of sense to me. And there's something to that, too. What a, What about my reaction to that just now? Which was, I just knew that that was, I felt the truth in that in my gut. And and there's no, I mean, I will go and research things and I'll go and check things out after I hear them when I have that feeling. But what is that that just happened? I mean, everybody's had that experience where you, you feel, somebody says something to you, you read something, you experience something, you feel in your gut that you have just experienced truth with a capital T, absolute truth. And and that's what I got. And I'm very comfortable getting that feeling, and and I get it a lot more when I'm open to it um, and I'm really listening. What is that that's happening? Am I tapping into something that's bigger than me, that's outside of my limited uh, scope? For just that moment to go, ah, I just experienced truth. I've just experienced something I'm verifying biologically or something.
1: It's often described as kind of a knowing that is transcending typical logic. And many people with, in business and all areas, I think, of the world can report this sometimes, and it like, can re- relate to creativity, where sometimes an idea just comes and it just feels right, and you can't really explain how it got there. So I think these are all facets of, of our consciousness that are often overlooked, but which are things that many people experience, and they're just not explained in a linear way. And maybe we can't explain them in a linear way.
0: Yeah, but then we get, then we try we try to figure out well how would we explain them I think that's where we like you said earlier about infinity we start to shut down and sparks start to come out of our ears because <laughs> I don't <laughs> I don't know the answer to those kinds of questions and we don't like to not know answers to questions maybe that's why oh he's asking the hard question again I'm gonna go over here and play with my phone I don't I don't want I don't want to be disappointed again in not knowing the answer to the the most pressing cr- question of humanity. Maybe. I don't know.
1: Yeah, well, I think there's a tendency. It's it's just much easier to stick with the things that we do know. But the, the potential error there is to say that, well, only the things that we do know are the governors of our reality. We have to acknowledge that we are excluding many of the things we can't understand, and I think it requires a degree of humility to say there are things that we just cannot understand, but I'm going to approach these topics anyway. And just remembering that we're not going to know everything. And that's not a comfortable position for, for much of our society now because we want to know. And yet situation where we by definition really can't know potentially.
0: Yeah. I want to switch gears a little bit here because I want to, I want to find out how kindred our spirits are here. When you two years ago started looking into all of this, you said you were really big in business and everything before that. How did it start to change the way you looked at most closely your business and how you saw yourself in the world previous to these discoveries that you were beginning to make? And certainly now, looking back, um, because for me, it had a dropping out. I had a dropping out experience. I dropped out of my business. When I realized it wasn't me, that that, that wasn't it was something I was doing, but it wasn't me. But I was carrying on for years and years, like this is me. I'm a, I'm a guru. I'm a, you know, expert. I'm this, and people depend on me to keep up on my game because if not, then they will stop paying me to be a consultant and buy my products and services and memberships. So I have to be this thing, and I was totally wrapped up in that. And then I started getting into this stuff, and it showed how much of not a fraud. What a play that I was putting on! It's really interesting to me that everybody calls these things roles. What role are you going to play at this company? Why? I mean, are you? Is it a theater company? But everybody says that in corporate America, everywhere else, my role here is. I'm like, what are we? Shakespeare? Is everybody just putting on a role and all that? Once I found out that mine was exposed, like Jim Carrey talks about all the time, and people think he think he's crazy. We may all be crazy. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not that person. I'm just somebody that, you know, wears these clothes and does these things and, and frees people from concern. That's a role I play, but that's not who I am. My business just dropped out for a while. I couldn't understand why I would ever want to do what I, was, what I had been doing for uh, 15 years. <laughs> I couldn't understand. Mm-hmm. I wanted to keep exploring. What did it do to you? I mean, you're still clearly in business, but you're doing something different. You're writing and you're you know, how much of an effect did all of this realization stuff thus far have on you?
1: Well, as I mentioned before, my, my old outlook was a very bleak one on life, which is that um, I guess I'm here, but it doesn't really matter. So I was kind of going through the motions and acknowledging that because I just thought there was no meaning, but I may as well just try, I guess, because maybe there's something I don't understand. And this mm. this realization when I got into the work, I, I realized that, that I, there is a lot more than what I had realized previously. And what I think it did for me is that it opened up the whole avenue of passion that I just didn't know existed in my life. So I'm, I'm still currently working. I'm a partner at my firm. And so it's just like outside of that work environment, it's a new passion that just didn't exist at all. And I think it recontextualizes how I think about the business world and finances and things like that, because there are certainly benefits to working and being able to support oneself and which allows me to explore many of these things in detail. So there's a lot of uh, benefits to that, but it's, it's just, it's brought a new area of life for me that just didn't exist at all before.
0: Kind of struck a new balance, right? The work stuff is the work stuff and uh, whatever you would consider that your partnership and all of that. Uh, And then this exploration that you've been doing, is just a new facet, something that's fit into your life that you kind of had to maybe move some things around or drop some things that, you that weren't serving you anymore or, or whatever, but it did change things. For the better, mm-hmm. it sounds like for you, because it sounds like you um, – I don't really know what mine was at the time. I don't know if I was really like, is there everything me? Well, I'll tell you. Actually, I do know. I was ignoring it completely, and I would do anything in my power to not talk about the big stuff. Uh, you know, and I didn't know, I wasn't doing it consciously. I would just naturally avoid ever, you know, doing what I called then the woo-woo stuff. And anybody woo-woo would come in the room, I would leave. I would, not out of anything other than just complete, I thought, disinterest. But really what I think what I was doing was putting up a guard until very much later in life that, I realized I hadn't been doing any of the thinking. I even avoided it in college when everybody would sit around and smoke weed and talk about philosophy and things. like I got very bored, and, and they talked about things that were uncomfortable to me. So I mm-hmm. successfully avoided all that. It sounds like you had come but up. But I've got to jump in right here right for behind. a minute,
2: Jack. I've got to jump in yeah. here for a minute because Uh-oh. one of the things Uh-oh. that we've really realized is that what you focus on really does expand. And as Jack was dropping out of business as a result of this thinking, what happens to Jack? But he attracts Gina into his life. And I wouldn't (laughs) even exist at all today if it wasn't for this stuff. In 2005, I was dying and literally was given a death sentence by my doctors of 12 to 18 months. And a massage therapist who turns out to be a healer in Sedona, Arizona, got me turned on to the world of quantum physics and spirituality and all this other stuff. And through visualization and shifting my thinking, I was able to experience a miracle and overcome two illnesses that were killing me. And so when I came into Jack's life, All of a sudden, he couldn't avoid this stuff anymore because it's too much a part of my life. And I would talk to him about it all the time. So that kind of thing happens all the time to people I know, at least. Did that happen in your world as well, Mark?
1: I would say very much so, where I... I was kind of of the conventional – it was in the conventional world where these things were just not discussed at all, and maybe I would think about the big picture every now and then. Then I learned about these things, and it was at first very isolating because I didn't know anyone else who, who even explored these things, and I thought I was just crazy or something. I'm like, how could there be all this evidence and no one knowing about it on the surface or no one even talking or acting like they know it? But over time, as I've explored things further and have started talking about them more, a lot of new people have entered my spheres. And I've come to learn that there are a lot of people that have either had experiences or who know about the science and the ideas and are thinking about them. So I would say that my my circles have shifted drastically today versus two years ago.
0: Well, yeah, once uh, once you raise your hand and say, and you get out there and you start talking and things, you start to feel a lot less isolated that people can feel in the beginning when they're like, good God, I don't know anybody who thinks like this. Well, in fact, a lot of people do. It's just most people don't talk about it until somebody talks about it. And then all of a sudden you do get to find these people <laughs> around you and, and in business too. That's another question. It's like how – so everybody listening to this show has got a business, is, is, is an entrepreneur in some way, um, in some level of development, uh, uh, their business and are probably wondering why the heck we're talking about all of this, although if they've been listening for the last year, not so much. Yes, we come on this topic quite often with people who are here to tell us about also how does all this stuff affect you when you have a business that you have to run and that living that you talked about. You still have to make a living and and it kind of changed your view about those kinds of things, but um, is there any leverage to be had in, ex- in this expansive thinking, in this, in, in reading your book and then going back to my business and, um, you know, having a great big personal epiphany, of course, that would be one goal. But also, is, is there anything it can do for our businesses? Is there anything this expanded thinking can do for us there?
1: Well, I'll start with some of the science, then I'll move to things that I've experienced anecdotally. So scientifically, if we think that these psychic abilities and intuition abilities are actually real, then I think we can use them in business to advance what we're doing and have a better sense of direction for our businesses. These are abilities that we all have, and my book chronicles the science for it. Some of us have them to a greater extent than others, but we all have them. If we can learn to tap into them, I think we can advance our businesses. Um, And also, when we think about this interconnectedness, that could influence how we treat one another and how we just structure and organize our businesses. If we treat each other really as connected pieces of this broader whole, I just think it shifts business interactions. But beyond that, moving to the more anecdotal stuff, what I have found with people who have either been along this journey with me where I started to open up to people and and would tell them about some of the science, many people have told me their lives have shifted. And now that the book is out, has been out for a few weeks, I'm getting – messages from from people that things have shifted in their lives very drastically and including in the workplace. And it's not necessarily in ways that I can like tell you that there's a direct correlation or that there's a direct causal relationship between learning about these ideas and then things getting better for people. But it just seems to be a pattern that I'm finding. And sometimes it relates to business in ways that I don't understand, um, that I can't really explain, but it just seems to be something that is occurring.
0: Uh, so if somebody read your book and they were in that isolation phase where they feel like they're kind of just off on their own. Nobody around them is really thinking about things like this and they're bothered by that. And they're reading your book as a a way to explore what they're interested in that they feel alone, sort of. There's a scary point that happened for me and that was that untethering. I had always made sort of light of uh, all of my family's religion and other religions and things. And I just never really you know, I mocked it a lot. I did a lot of things um, I'm not super proud of. But I found out in this isolation phase where I felt like I was alone discovering these things or there, weren't anybody, there wasn't anybody in my world that I could immediately turn and talk to uh, to get reflection and all of that, um, I became untethered. from. I always carried a secret feeling like the priests knew something. The, 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 there was somebody out there. I, I found out that I was counting on them to actually know something. And when I found out that they didn't and that nobody does, it really threw me into like a really kind of dark place for a while. And because I didn't have anybody who had already been through that phase greet me on the other side, I felt like I was swinging from one tree and I couldn't find another, another vine to grab onto. And I had no – and it was also a shock to find out how much I identified with certain religions, uh, not in any particular religion, but that the, the religious people knew something that – and while I was mocking them <laughs> all my life, like, oh, that's just dumb, but I hope you're right. I mean, I hope something's there. I mean, I don't know what I think. And then I would go and, you know, inebriate myself or something and stop thinking about that dangerous topic. What, what about that place where you, where you were in that – going from one thing to another right in the midst of the shift it's kind of a dark place it was for me is that a common thing that you found that
1: other people talk about or complain about or
0: wish it would have been a nicer transition
1: than it was well for me it was definitely difficult and maybe dark and just disorienting to like accept that this whole reality exists and i spent all my life before that being oblivious to it that's a really hard realization And also one of the things I'm finding, and and this is how I structured the book, and I was hoping for this to be the case, is that people are opening up and saying, I had this personal mystical experience once. I've never been able to talk about it, and you've explained it in your book, and I don't feel as crazy. And it also gives people an ability, I'm hoping, if they feel isolated because of these topics, this is something that they can show to their friends who are more mainstream and say, look, check this out. I'm interested in these topics, and and maybe they can open up a bit more because there's some science to back what they're discussing. So I'm really hoping that this platform will open things up for many, many people who are afraid to discuss these things or who feel feel very isolated. I'll tell you uh, the contrast to that, the 180 of that
0: is you don't go around sharing Lands' biocentrism book. That's for sure. There's, I mean. Way to make a a friend go away. (laughs) And then the really uncomfortable part of weeks and months after, did you read it? Did you read it? And they have to lie to you because most people are not down with that. I think that's one of the reasons this thing just went flying over everybody's head and that your thing has a chance of reaching people that his didn't because it's more approachable. And I'm really happy to hear about any project that seeks to do that because the, a lot of this stuff is very heady, and it can be very intellectual and, and, and pre- perceived as, like, non-welcoming uh, you know, to the average person. And it makes a, an average person feel dumb really quick. Like, I don't need to be here, you bunch of weirdos. And, <laughs> you know, and they discount whatever's being said based on that experience. So I really have a lot of hope that your book will uh, do a much better job than those coming before you have um, in bridging that gap.
1: Well, I tried to pick really tangible examples that don't require even any intellectual knowledge. So, for example, there's a phenomenon known as remote viewing, which I had never heard of before until I looked at the research, which is the ability to perceive something without seeing it with your eyes. So, you're not physically there, but you can see it and you can draw it out. The U.S. government that was had it. F- that
0: was an FBI or CIA uh, study at one point, wasn't it?
1: That was like a real
0: legitimate government program or something I heard.
1: Yes, and I I talk about the program. They ran a program for more than 20 years at least where they used these remote viewers, psychic spies, to locate distant objects. And there are reports from former U.S. President Jimmy Carter who says that it was used in a certain instance. But for an everyday person, what I was able to do is find documents that the CIA declassified. And I include those documents in the book. One of the documents says, remote viewing is a real phenomenon. That's a direct quote from the document. So That's just pretty explicit right there. And then um, in 1995, Congress and the CIA asked a prominent statistician to look at the evidence for these types of phenomena at the conclusion of the project. And the woman, her name is Dr. Jessica Utz. In 2016, she was the president of the American Statistics Association and a professor of statistics at UC Irvine, very credible person. In her report to Congress and the CIA, which is publicly available, she says, using the standards applied to any other area of science, it is concluded that psychic functioning has been well established. These are like direct quotes that you don't even have to be intellectual to say, okay, these are credible institutions and people that are looking at this closely and they say it's real. So to me, as just someone who explores. I think that that warrants someone to investigate further if the person has any curiosity. Yeah. That's crazy. I, this is the closest I've ever felt to Joe Rogan's
0: podcast ever. This is so awesome. And you better show up on his show, man, because you totally deserve to be there. And <laughs> because this is just so wild. It's great to talk about this stuff. I don't get that kind of an opportunity, you know, usually. So what are some other phenomena? What are some, tell me some of the weird, cool, juicy stuff that you've dug up that we can find in the book related to that? Go
1: all out. Don't hold back. Okay. Yeah, we'll talk about the fun stuff. So going back to the near-death experiences, one of my favorite examples, in addition to studies that have been published, for example, in the Lancet Journal, which is a very credible medical journal uh, by Dr. Pim Van Lommel, he looked at people who were in cardiac arrest and then interviewed them afterwards after they were resuscitated. And he found that 18%, 1-8, had a near-death experience. Now, modern medicine would predict it would be 0%. So something as big as going on in a mainstream medical journal published that. But beyond that, there are reports of people who have been blind since birth who are able to see in their near-death experience, and then they come back into their body and they can't see anymore. So this is conforming to the idea that, you know, our, our senses, our awareness is not tied to our body or to our bodily organs. It's like the body is restricting those things, and the way our antenna, so to speak, is configured in the body for certain people is restricting awareness. And then once out of that body, the awareness becomes totally free. It's a, to- it's a crazy thing to think about. Someone blind since birth be well, able to the- see during the near-death experience.
0: What about uh, Alzheimer's then? So uh, surely that must have come up and it's probably explained in much the same way. It's, I've always looked at people like, oh God, I looked at it completely from the physical side. My grandpa had it and I, I hated watching him slip away he's still very much alive and fairly healthy, but has climbed severely as the disease progressed. And then I heard many years later that it's just a detachment to this physical reality. And I was like, that's interesting. Cause it's a totally different angle to look at it. It still sucks in every way for the family members and everything to watch it happen from the physical side. But then I began to get really interested in what, Was going on in the non-physical side? What has become detached? Um, And and, and where are they when they're not here? You know, I always thought it was just some dark place, some lost place, because I was going by the look in their eyes, and it was very, very sad for me. But then I started getting a little bit of hope, thinking, well, what what were they seeing? Maybe, Maybe they weren't in a dark place at all, and they were seeing stuff that we just couldn't possibly see.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, these are important questions. I think we have to to rethink all of the conventional explanations. Now, there's certainly a biological element to Alzheimer's where the brain is configured in a certain way that's different than a a, a normal brain, quote-unquote, and it causes – it's like the filter or the antenna is just configured differently to preclude certain perceptions while in the body. But is there some bigger picture reason like you described? I think we have to explore that. But you touched on something even broader, which I think is really critical, and it, it gets to the, the idea of memory, that we are, I think we are overly biased uh, by what we can remember, and we overestimate how much we remember. Sleep mm. at night, we don't remember every minute of every dream. We don't know what happens between thoughts. Do we remember what happens between thoughts necessarily? Do we remember what happened in our infancy? Do we remember what happened two years ago today at this exact second? There are so many things that we don't actively remember and we can't actively recall. So who knows what's happening or has happened in those events that we don't remember? And we just, we just think that they're nothing because we can't remember them. Or like a sleepless night, I mean a
0: dreamless night where you go to sleep and right. you wake up the next morning and you have no – what happened there? I love that topic. I mean it's like what in the world is happening there? did you stumble on any studies or anything where people are studying that phenomenon, just the physics of sleep and what's going on in the brain when it's completely dreamless and you don't remember anything because nothing you would think or you feel in the morning,
1: nothing happened. Where did I go? Yeah, I I think it's not, it's an area that needs to be explored much better. But what I have seen is that people who enter brain states that mimic the sleep state tend to have, more psychic abilities or more psychic phenomena that happen to them. So, for example, with the U.S. government studies, what the remote viewers were trained to do when they were seeing things with their mind in this psychic state, they were trained to go into a trance, which kind of mimics an almost sleep-type phase. So there's something about that state of consciousness that is allowing some broader access. But what happens to people when they wake up and they don't remember things? We just don't know and remember and we discount the things that we can't remember because we can't even recall them. But, like, who knows what happens during those periods.
0: It's crazy. It's, uh, and, and kind of what drives me now, and I think a lot of people that I know who are really into this stuff, is we're over the period where it was a dark thing during the shift and everything else. It just we, we came to terms in the ways that we needed to, however, however we needed to, and, uh, and are now in full-on search mode seek and destroy i want truth i want facts i want to find out stuff and uh these are the kinds of topics that really get us going this gets our hands rubbing together like ooh yeah what's up like that and i even get excited when people like you say i don't know and i'm like i don't know either Isn't this is great and like but <laughs> let's keep searching let's keep you know let's keep doing this because this is really the work of of our species you know i mean there aren't anybody, there are no existential crisis on the, on the plains of Africa with the lions and the gazelle (laughs) that we can perceive at least. Right. I mean, we're the only ones and we're, clearly we're, I believe we're supposed to be doing this because, because we are simply just because we are doing it. And um, so I, I try to get as many people excited about it as I can without acting like, you know, without getting too badly off the rails, uh, which (laughs) I'm sure you've had to, that experience everybody typically does it's like that look that you get and you're like "Ooh, ooh this conversation's over let's go talk about something
1: else <laughs> well you know i i wrote the book with that conversation in mind the example that i discussed there's some backing to it and if someone wants to question it then it's a matter of questioning the science and the methodologies um, rather than the 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 actual fact itself so That's one of the approaches that I typically try to take. But I wanted to go back to your your point about the the curiosity towards these topics and the importance. I think they're intellectually interesting, and it's just interesting from an existential standpoint to understand who and what we are. But I think there's a major crisis happening on the planet, and it's not even controversial to say that. I mean, anyone who turns on the news for two minutes can see that there are a lot of problems in the world. And to me, it stems from this very issue, misunderstandings of reality and who and what we are. The the problems, most if not all of them, are stemming from a, a hidden belief that we are fundamentally separate from each other and that we are finite beings. It's a scientific assumption that we are finite, we're here for this body, and that's it in most cases. And in many cases, we are fundamentally separate from one another. Now, if those assumptions are not true, a lot of the behavior we see that is going on around the world where people are mistreating each other, those things don't make sense under an interconnected reality. So this has implications for how we even structure society, politics, and way beyond. We have built an
0: even more perfect machine than we were given when we came into this physical existence, with clearly the limiters put on us that we talked about earlier, right? We were pretty well limited, and we were put into this physical existence where things we were able to do and not able to do, whereas physics was invented right along with us to make sure that that all happened. And what did we go and do? But we started having philosophical discussions and things like that pretty early on, but we built an even more perfect mousetrap with social media, news, um, technology, and all these other things to distract us even further than our, than our regular senses were meant to do. How do we get out of a cycle where we're actively participating in how everything's going kind of nuts right now? And we've got tools like AlkaWazoo to make sure that it continues. And then there's a few, it feels to me sometimes like there's a few people like you out there sort of maybe screaming into the wind. Like, hey guys, <laughs> over here, I can help. I mean, are we going <laughs> to make it? Are we going to be able to do it? Or is it too far gone?
1: I don't know. I hope we can make it. That's part of the reason I felt the urgency to write this book. I mean, I wrote it in a few weekends after doing a year of research because I, I said this has to come out ASAP because I, there's urgency for this. But I, many of the issues that you're talking about relate to a belief that, that there is an external world, that happiness and the things that we seek are external. That's an assumption, that, there an even, that an external does even exist outside of consciousness. And what this is pointing towards is a very, what I'll call non-dual perspective, that all there is is consciousness and there is no external. And therefore, things like happiness and the elimination of suffering, which are things that everyone is seeking, no matter who you are, um, those things are not going to be found in an illusory external world. So it becomes very practical when people say, I want to be happier, I want to get rid of suffering. I think it will, it will stem at the core from this understanding that we are consciousness and everything is occurring within consciousness to stop looking externally so much.
0: And on my better days, I know that there is a groundswell and there has been one building for uh, quite a long time because we do often more often than we would probably sound like we do run into people who are like, yes, I'm one of those. I'm tired of doing it this way. I'm looking into, you know, I just meditated for the first time and I had a great experience uh, the, or the first time that I had a great experience of meditation. I mean, I'm hearing that an awful lot. And so people are, it isn't really a just a one-sided thing. Like I may have sounded like I was painting before, but there are days when we all wake up and think that I think like, Holy crap. I mean, but the other day, uh, I, 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 I'm into conservation and everything like that, uh, long story, but I, I just got a litany of good news on my Twitter feed all day long. There wasn't one bad thing that happened that day. In fact, everything that the groups that I follow, who usually only have bad news to report, was positive. We won a lawsuit to protect the red wolves. Um, we, you know, did something good for the oceans. We did this, and they were kind of like, well, let's kind of weird. It's an anomaly, unfortunately, right now. But that's, you know, there's good stuff happening out there all over the place. And it's really where we focus. I just wasn't expecting that one. I wasn't focused in that direction until it kind of just focused on me, I guess. But it was pretty Mm -hmm. awesome. It was a pretty good day because of all of that.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there are shifts in positive directions that we don't always anticipate. And I'm seeing more and more of it that people are getting interested. So. I think there is some reason for optimism, but at the same time, the, the reasons for pessimism are in our face.
0: All right. Well, everybody's obvious next step is to uh, go grab your book. Tell everybody what they can do to uh, to get that accomplished
1: today. So my book is called An End to Upside-Down Thinking, Dispelling the Myth that the Brain Produces Consciousness and the Implications for Everyday Life. It is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and many bookstores And also my website, which is just my name, Mark Gober, M-A-R-K-G-O-B-E-R.com, has more information on my book. And also I'll be releasing a podcast hopefully in the next few months. I've interviewed about 50 people already in the scientific field around many topics. So so for people who want to hear the scientists themselves or people who have had near-death experiences, that's what this podcast is going to be about. I'm (laughs) first. (laughs) Well,
2: this has been a fun show. I'm so excited for you. This is going to be an amazing journey. I am going out to go grab your book in hardcover format, which I almost never do, and <laughs> can't wait to start reading it today.
1: We awesome. will be back same time, I can't wait same to place,
2: read it. I, and I'll probably have stuff I want to talk to you about after I do, so get us reconnected. <laughs> okay. We will be sure. back same time, same place next week. For another episode of Leverage Masters. Even Popeye wants to read it. <laughs> Thank you again, Mark. Have a great week, everybody.: Thanks, Thank you. Mark.
0: Tune in next week for another episode of Leverage Masters. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook on our Leverage Blackbook page to keep up with the latest. We'll see you next time on Leverage Masters)
1: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW void. We're prohibited by law. See
0: terms and conditions 18 plus. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. O, oh, O, oh, O, oh, O'Reilly Auto
2: Parts.